Yo, this is Andrew Austin. They call me Drake, last name Miles. It's Mono A Mono. And as always, I'll give you my two cents, but it's up to you to make the change. Today I'm sitting with a remarkable lady named Leela Montgomery. Leela is eight years into her 80s and is still very active. After over 30 years of nursing, Leela retired and started a group of retired women to cycle across country. Thank you all for listening. Stay tuned to hear the whole thing. Hello, Leela. Hi, Drake. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for doing this. You're very welcome, Drake. So first, I guess we'll we'll, we'll jump right into it. Where uh, where are you from? Let's tell the people where you're from. I've I've obviously heard this story a couple times, but uh, but I, I can't wait to hear the full thing. I'm uh, yeah, I got butterflies in my stomach. I'm I'm excited to hear this. Oh, I can't believe my life story is giving you butterflies. Yeah, it's uh, well, I've I've heard it in bits and pieces, yeah. and uh, yeah. I'm excited to hear the full thing. You're you're an extraordinary lady, so. Thank you for saying that. Oh, no problem, yeah. not a problem at all. So yeah, let's um, let's start there. Let's tell the people where you're from and okay. give them a little inside scoop to, to that. And that's we'll yeah. start with that. I was um, uh, born in Guyana. Um, Guyana is a British colony on the northeast coast of South America, and uh, we we're right close to the equator. So our days were uh, the same. From January to December, we didn't have seasons. Hmm. And um, uh, that's one of the things that I really came to love when I started traveling to countries that had seasons, you know. It was something new. Yeah. But um, I grew up in a British colony, and the big thing about the British was that they made sure we went to school. And um, an education is uh, one of the things that, um, you know, throughout my life, I've always valued education and realized that um, without being educated, you cannot um, really lift yourself from poverty and from um, that, you know, usually poverty is passed down in generations and and when you remain poor and uneducated, then uh, life is is never um, going to be good for you. <laughs> so I um, I did get married at a young age because it was the thing to do. But uh, the big thing that I want to talk about is um, I had a British passport, and the British wanted... Um, uh, they were wanting nurses okay. to be trained in England, really, to look after the post-war elderly. Hmm. And so, I mean, uh, going there, you, you're going with a, in mind uh, to be a nurse, like like what you see in the movies. Uh, well, we didn't have movies, but uh, whatever you saw, um, well, yes, in the movies, we didn't have TV, but we had movies of nurses, you know, dressed in their uniforms and the doctors in their white. And, and you think, 
that's what you're going to. <laughs> the expectation, right? Exactly. <laughs> and then you get there and you find out that um, we were going to be doing geriatric nursing. Mm. And, um, but I must say that um, it, it doesn't matter uh, how little education you get as a child. If you have a foundation, then you can always build on it. And that the foundation that I had was uh, going to school from kindergarten up to sixth standard. And by that time, I could write essays and um, I knew how to construct sentences and where you put periods and where you put commas and semicolons and and I think once you were able to do that, then you could write an essay uh, because uh, you have to choose a subject and then you're going to put it on paper. And so if you, does, if you don't construct it in a proper way, nobody's going to read it. Right. So um, that was the first thing. And I thought, okay, um, you know, at least I have the basics and I knew how to do those things uh, because at that time... All the exams for for nursing to get your registered to be a registered nurse, it was all um, written exams. Mm. Um, there was a multiple choice, and and you know it was all written. You for for the test, uh, you actually had a patient, a live person in a bed, and they would say, "Well, this man has been admitted, and he's." Uh, short of breath, and uh, his heart rate is high, and and um, how are you going to treat this patient? So you had to um, uh, say, you know, you've got the teacher right there, you know, mm-hmm. and you had to say, well, you know, you have to nurse him in a sitting position, and these are the medications you'd give him. So that gives you an idea of... of uh, the type of tests that we had leading up to uh, writing an exam for your state registration. Right, yeah, they would actually test you. In yeah, oh, yeah, well, you you were, uh, that's what you were doing whenever you went from uh, one stage in nursing, first year to second year to third year, okay. and then before you be- can write the exam to become a state registration, as a state registered nurse. Okay. So it was um, work while you learn, right? Yeah, which was uh, great for me. Right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. because I, I, um, I had to learn uh, things like anatomy and physiology, biology. Mm-hmm. These things were new to me because I, I didn't go to high school, so I didn't have those subjects. Right. But we, we worked hard. We did split shifts which means you went to work early in the morning and uh, and then you had a break at 10 o'clock and then you went back at 2 o'clock and you worked till 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> so there were long shifts, but while you were working, you had the classroom time. Right. So that was fitted into your schedule. You had a place to live uh, because you couldn't leave your country and go to another country and you have nowhere to live. Right. If you can't arrive in a country, what would you do? 
but it was set up that this is where we were assigned. The hospital that I was assigned to um, in the beginning was uh, Cuddington Hospital, and it was um, in an area where they treated uh, patients when they the days when they had typhoid and and all these um, uh, diseases that were communicable diseases. So they put them away from from everybody else. Okay. So you get to the <laughs> you get on the train in London. Busy, everybody's running and everybody's, you know. And then you finally, I um, this I must tell you this story. Yeah, no, this is this, this gentleman came along. He saw me sitting there with my little suitcase. I got a letter in my hand that uh, I was accepted at this hospital. Now I got to get to Banstead. Right. So um, he came up to me. First of all, he offered me his coat. Because, you know, coming from the tropics, I didn't know how to dress for cooler weather. Right. And this was their fall. So, you know, it was cool. And for me, uh, I mean, now I w- it would be fine because I'd know how to dress and I'd know how to live through, <laughs> after living through Canada's winter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, at that time... Um, but he offered me his coat, and I showed him the letter, and he said, well, you're on the wrong platform. He said, but I will take you there uh, where you have to get the train to go to Banstead, and I will talk to the conductor, and I tell him that when you get there, somebody should uh, tell you that you're there to get off the train. So I was done. I got on the train, and... When it came to Banstead, the conductor came and he said, this is your stop. Well, I got off there and I looked around and there's nobody there to meet me, oh like God. they said, you know. <laughs> yeah. And where the hospital was, because like I say, this was an isolation hospital during the war. <laughs> so it was down a long, dark driveway. It had maybe... A light at the beginning and a light maybe at the end, but the rest of it was dark. And um, so I walked down the driveway and um, and I got I got to the nurse's residence um, because that's where I had to go. That's where I'm going to be sleeping. That's right. you know I got my little suitcase. That's where I'm going to be living. It's like a spooky movie. Oh, I know, <laughs> I know. And you got to see this driveway to believe it. Yeah. It's like bush on both sides oh. because it was an area where the people that lived there, they, they were the white people and they were lived in these huge houses. And they, you know, they want, this is what they want. They Their want privacy. To have, yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, but for me, it was like, you know, coming from Guyana where we live, Cheek to jowl, as you say. <laughs> and then end up in this place where people are, you know, their homes. Taking advantage and their of their gardens the, and the that. Space. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I walked down the driveway and I got to the nurse's residence. And I never forget the home sister for the, um, for the residence was Sister Ravisma. 
Ravisma. Uh, Ravisma, and she turned out to be a Dutch lady. Okay. So, um, and so she greeted me and took me to my room. I had a room with, um, we had to shower, it had to shower separate, it was bathtubs. Okay. Bathtubs, no shower, I thought. Bathtub, you're washing in that same water. <laughs> but that's what it was. And, um, and it had, uh, the heating was radiators with hot water. Okay. And so the room was warm, and you know, there's a bed and closet for your clothes and a little table, and yeah, it was fine, you know. Um, I'm good with that. Yeah. Because we ended up, we used to have parties in those rooms. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was going somewhere. <laughs> and when she would come, when we not, uh, you know, because there were other girls from the West Indies, we were the ones that staffing this hospital. Okay. And so we would have our parties and whatever their parents would send for them, you know, like um, uh, our rum cake and and sometimes you get some curry and, and all this stuff and but anyway, they would come and then we we're going to have a party in my room. And she'd come and knock on the door. We'd hide in the closet. She didn't want her to see how many people were in there. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but you know, um, when you needed to, to buy a coat, uh, we, we have a thing in the West Indies that call a box. I don't know where the word came from, but... Uh, we certainly knew about box. So what we did was, we maybe there's 10 of us for an even number, say 10 of us. And then we would each, when we get our paycheck, which was not very much, mm-hmm. it wasn't enough to go and buy a, a winter coat. So to get a winter coat, we started to throw a box. That's, you know, the Guyanese words. Okay. And... Um, and so each person out of their paycheck would put $10. So if there's six of us, then, and it was pounds. Right. And so it would be 60, uh, 60 pounds, you know. So you can go and buy a coat for that. Hmm. So that's how, uh, and then we put the numbers, write the numbers on paper, and you picked it out as to which hand you're going to get. Makes sense? Yeah, yeah. That's a, a good way of doing things. You're all working together, you know. It's not it's not like every man for themselves or every woman in this case. Yeah, for well, you know, people in later years, people would say, well, the, if you get your money in the beginning, how do they know you're still going to be putting your money in? I said, you know. Yeah. This is a unwritten code between us Yeah. that you're going to, Get that money, and when it's the next person's turn, you're going to st- still keep putting the money in, not because you you got your money and you got your bought your coat, but you keep putting the money in until the time when the last person get their money. Yeah, everybody has a coat. Yes, right? yeah. 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 Huh. So um, uh, that's one of the things that um, you know I thought I'd. I'd mention because yeah, that's really cool. it, was, it was, you know. It's these little I, things that you learn along the way that, exactly. that make you the person you are, Well, right? you know, the other thing that um, that, that did for me was that I didn't have any debt. 
Right. And I've learned over the year until this day of my life, I have no debt. Hmm. And whatever money I have is what I'm going to live on. And out of that, if it's $3 a week, uh, which is what I was earning at this little store I was working at, I gave $2 of that to my mother. 50 cents went to me, and I saved 50 cents. Wow. And so all my life, that's how I... Uh, of course, it got to the point where I got more money, but I always had savings and no debt. That's the way to do things. There's there's a lot more that people can learn from you than than just to be motivated and and to start being active. You know, <laughs> there's a yeah. Lot more. Well, <laughs> you know, that's um, uh, that's one of the things that I thought would be interesting to people to know that. I'm at the stage of my life where I own where I live and, and you know, I have um, retirement money and all this. And, you know, I, I'm very comfortable. Mm-hmm. But I got there because of what I did in the early days of my life, the way I was brought up and uh, we never had debt. Nobody would lend you money. You've got no collateral, mm-hmm. you know. So um, that's the way... Um, I was brought up. I was never. I never got caught up in keeping up with the Joneses, and because they had this new fridge, I have to have a new one, or this kind of thing that people do. And uh, I never got caught up in because something is on sale, I'm going to buy it. And I used to try to tell my friends, you know, don't don't um, buy it on sale because if you can't buy it outright. Wait until you can do that, because mm-hmm. by the time you pay for it, it costs you three times what what that cost was. Yep. Because interest is a killer. It sure is. Interest is a killer. And so if you save your money until you can buy what you want, do it that way. Mm. Uh, sometimes it's hard, you know, as young people, you see these things, you want it, and and especially for ladies, you know, you want to go out and shop, but um, you have know. a strong will. Yeah, you you do have, you know, you you have to. And so, um, have you got a Kleenex? I got a little bit of a runny nose here, and I uh, yeah, I can go run and grab one. Uh, no problem. Sorry about that. A little bit of a runny nose dealt with now. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> Sorry about that. No problem, Lila. Um, so let's just backtrack uh, just a, a smidge. Okay. For the people that don't know, what's, um, and I mean, we don't have to go into any detail or anything, mm-hmm. but what's what's it like growing up in a third world country? Country. Well, the big thing about that is that we, we were British. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, we were able to go to school. That was the biggest thing, yes. the, the British. Because a lot of these um, third world countries that don't educate their people, they never get out of poverty. Right. And so um, it was great that I was able to do that because because of that little bit of education, mm-hmm. I was able to go to England. Yeah. And... Um, and then improve on that while I was being trained as a nurse. Mm-hmm. And so I did the course that um, 
was a licensed practical nurse. It would be like the SPWs here. Okay. And then while I was doing that, it was a two-year course. And uh, and I did really well at it because um, it involved a lot more practical work. And I really... Um, I really like the hands-on with the patients, and um, I discovered a lot of things about myself that um, I just took for granted how much empathy I had, and um, and I think that um, if you want to be somebody who is in nursing and uh, somebody who's going to take care of patients and be close to them to the point where you realize that uh, what you're doing is to make them healthy. Yeah. What better thing is to do for your mankind, somebody, you know? Yeah. And so... um, that part of nursing was easy for me. You know, a lot of um, people get into nursing, you know, in later years I knew that, you know, they went to college, and but they weren't good nurses. Yeah, no compassion. Exactly. They didn't, um, like one of my uh, patients uh, said to me, um, wh- wh- which college did you train and I said, no, I, I was trained in England. And she says, you're a real nurse. <laughs> <laughs> because they knew these girls coming that were trained in England, mm-hmm. that their patients were going to be uh, uh, taken care of, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, that's, that's that part of my life. Then, of course, the other part of my life that, uh, really um, is of interest in talking about, um, you know, what I've done physically. And um, I always knew that um, I, when you were going to, um, to do anything that's physical to make you healthy, uh, you have to want to do it. You have to not look on it as work, as something that is difficult. You have to look at it as something that's going to give you both mental and physical health. And, um, and then you can cope with all life's things as you go through life, you know, marriage and children. and, and But if you... Um, Keep in mind that if you stay physically fit, make sure your heart and lungs are in good shape, you're going to go a long way. And um, and along with the education and your will to work. And, and um, I never, um, you know, there were tough, tough times. But uh, to me, tough times are part of life. You have to take the good with the bad, and you have to overcome a lot of things, and uh, you don't just make yourself sick to the point where you're mentally ill and, oh, I'm away from home. And, you know, a lot of the girls, you know, a lot of them used to um, 
you know, they uh, they would get pregnant, mm-hmm. you know, because we were fair game, and um, and on those days, you know, there was no birth control, and so a lot of those girls, and then they'd have their babies, and then they have to give it up for adoption because they can't. Where are they going to keep them in nurses' residence? You know, mm-hmm. and um, so you had to uh, be aware of these things, and you know, because there was men, you know, and um, and these are things that that happen. Yeah, and uh, you don't go through life uh, not knowing what it is. Um, to have a relationship with a man, whether it's a one night, whatever, mm-hmm. that you could get pregnant, yeah. and um, and so, um, but fortunately for me, um, I I tried to you know to avoid that, and and uh, that part of my life. Uh, ever talk about because um you know it's so personal yeah you know absolutely and um it sounds like to me sorry to interrupt it sounds like you know growing up the way you did and and being having to be so responsible from a young age taking care of all your all your siblings led you to have more common sense and more mm-hmm. you know definitely yeah yeah because when you were the eldest of seven you're you're like a second mother. Yeah. You know, you look after those little ones. And um, and you, so you gain this sense of responsibility. Um, and along with your the education you're getting and, um, and, and just, um, I don't know, you just have to, uh, to be strong enough to, when you're faced with things to, Make the right decisions, mm-hmm. and when you make wrong ones, you you suffer the consequences, and you move on. And you learn from them. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and just you're right. You just learn from from your mistakes. Don't let them defeat you. Exactly, and don't don't repeat them. Yeah, you know, if you repeat them, then you deserve the consequence from it. You know yeah. what yeah. I'm saying? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So you you. Um, uh, you do these things, but um, anyway, uh, the next part of my life, like, was England, mm-hmm. and then after England, I was now. How long were you in England for? Uh, eight years. Eight years, and that was training for. Tra- yeah, okay. eight years. I did um, the two years for um, the uh, licensed practical nurse. And uh, I did so well at that. I've got awards that I got, you oh, wow. know, for it, when I did that. And then I did the extra year, which is three years now, uh, that uh, I completed the uh, state registration. And then I did midwifery. <laughs> so I'm a certified midwife. Wow. Yeah. I did my part one and part two midwifery. I've got those certificates. And it all in England at the same. All in England, yes. At the same Eight hospital. Years. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So where where did the, where did the story go from there? 
Okay, this, we this, this story went from there. Is um, I'm thinking that how the immigration to Canada came about. Because from England, I came to Canada. Okay. Because I wanted to um, bring my son over to Canada now. Put him in I'm the snow. I'm working. Yes. <laughs> but now I'm working. I, I'm coming to... Because we had to... I don't know how the immigration got to the stage that it is. But in those days, when you immigrated to Canada, you had to have a job. Okay. Because you got to pay uh, taxes. Right. Because this this is a socialist country. That's how it's run. You can't come here and not pay taxes. You know, this is Canada now. Mm-hmm. So I had um I was um I had a job lined up at St. Mike's Hospital in Toronto. Okay. But I was gave myself two weeks before I was going to start that job. But that job was my entry into Canada. But my sister, in the meantime, they were living up here in Owen Sound. My brother-in-law did auto mechanics, and my sister uh, was a teacher. Hmm. So he, he got a job in Owen Sound teaching auto mechanics. Uh, Ovid, uh, who became the mayor of this town. Oh, wow. You know, but um, in those days, he got a job teaching auto mechanics. Up. That's how Owen Sound came into my life. Okay. You wanted to be with them? I wanted to come and, and visit with them uh, before I started my job in, in Toronto. Oh, okay. So I came up. And there's the nursing school. There was a the nursing school next to the old General and Marine Hospital. It's now where the new hospital is. It's up on the West Hill. Hmm. And so I went over to the nursing school. I walked from Verona, where Verona lived. And I um, crossed the Pottawatomie River and walked to the, to the school because... I thought, you know, I'm not afraid to step into a hospital because immediately I'm in somewhere that if something happens, I know what to do. Yeah, after you almost know, 10 years of the training. You exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I I felt comfortable in, in a hospital setting. Right. So I went to the nursing um, school and I said, you know, I was just um, visiting Owen Sound because... Um, my sister lives up here, but I have to. In two weeks, I start my job in St. Mike. She said, We'll give you a job up here. You want to live up here? I said, Well, I could think about that. So <laughs> I went back, I went home that evening, and I said to my sister, They're offering me a job. And, um, and so, you know, and I'd have a place to live. I'd have to pay a big rent like I was doing in, in Toronto. Right. And uh, Neil can come up here. That's where he went to high school up here, you know, in Sound. Okay. Yeah. Huh. But, and also, at the same time, I sponsored my brother, you know, after I got working on that. And he brought his two sons over, and they were boys that grew up with Neil. So now... He's got somebody, he doesn't feel so isolated. Right. And so he's got his cousins 
and they all went to high school together and nice you know and so um that made life easier for me and as a mother it was good you know it's to see him getting on the bus and and you know he goes to school i go to work and 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 we had a good life it it was tough for both of us and um but um i soon learned how to be a mother and i realized that um he's got a shelter he's going to have food he has to go to school yeah and one thing about neil is he loves school never had to say a day you know that he's going to M- malinger, <laughs> you know. Yeah. No. He's always on time. On, uh, he was always at school. Exactly. He's there. Pick up. Get the school bus. Go mm. to school. And um, he had the same drive that you that you had. Well, you know, I you must have I, passed it on. Exactly. Mm. Well, look at him today. Yeah. You know, he's where he is because of of that commitment I made to bring him to Canada. Yeah. And to get him in school. And to stick with it, right? I, was, oh, yeah. I'm sure there yeah. were some hard times when you wanted to... Oh, well, you know, um, I, I had um, some help from um, uh, one of my friends that from the hospital, Sam Maroka. Uh, he was a nuclear te- technician. Hmm. And I ended up working in the Department of Nuclear Medicine. I learned how to give intravenous drugs. Uh, because I worked in ICU, I was always looking for a challenge, something to... I wasn't satisfied with just being an RN. The 10 years in, in training wasn't enough? <laughs> I, I knew that I had to do these, And of course, I was so lucky I was in the right place at the right time. They were opening up a coronary care unit, and Dr. Cliff Keeling uh, was the doctor who was going to be in charge of that. His wife was um, an anesthetist, and uh, she and I became good friends through partying. <laughs> <laughs> but um, she, Cliff was in charge of the unit, so I went and learned how to use monitors, how to uh, CPR. Okay. Because now we the crash cart is in in the unit. When they have an arrest on the floor or an emerge, they call on the thing that there's a an, and I have to take that cart and I have to go because mm-hmm. and you had to know drugs that had to be given. You gotta you know uh, know if you uh, you go, if you look at the monitor and you know uh, why this person is in arrest and if it was one that. Um, that you needed to start the heart again with the paddles. And arrest Electric- is when the heart stops. Right? Yes, okay. yeah. But you, if you, um, if if it was a, a ventricular fibrillation, then you know you had to start the heart again because the ventricles are the part of the heart that pumps the blood, okay. gets the blood into the aorta and get it around the body. So the. Um, I learned how to resuscitate patients. Wow. And um, so, and to do that, I had to learn how to start intravenous. So I did all the courses that they wanted me to do, how to read the monitors, Mm. to know what type of arrhythmia the patient is in, 
so that you're giving that patient every chance of um, coming out of, of that arrest without brain damage because wow. you don't have a lot of time. Time is not on your side. Time is not on the patient's side. you got to do something right away and uh, if you're going to get good results. And that's what you're looking for, that that person will be able to function again normally. Right. And um, so wow. it was exciting. Uh, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> sure sounds like it. Yeah. Holy so boy. anyway, um, so that was um, my introduction to Owen Sound. That's how you, you ended up in Owen Sound? You yes. Fell in love with it? Yes. And then, of course, my sister was living up here. Right. And uh, she was teaching. And uh, she um, and Ovid was teaching auto mechanics. And so I was able to stay with them. And uh, the little bit of money that I'd saved. So I did some private duty nursing before I left England. And I saved the money I got for that because, you know, they used to pay you well. Mm -hmm. And... um, and especially if you uh, took the night shift, looking after somebody, then you got double time and this. Kind of, so I that's what I did, and I saved that money. And when I came to um, Owen Sound and uh, staying with Verona, I I got a bed for the room that I because they had uh, two kids, and so, but the house was a big house, and. Um, and so I had a bedroom of my own, but there's no furniture in it. Okay. So I was able to use that money because now nobody's going to give me credit because I, you know, I'm just getting started, mm-hmm. you know. And um, but I took that money and I bought a bed and a dresser and what I needed, and mm-hmm. I stayed with my sister, and I was able to. Uh, the other thing that was a really good thing to do when you start to work. First, get a job uh, as an immigrant is to um, join the credit union because they would take whatever money you tell them that you want out of your salary, they would take it out. So you are getting your paycheck minus that. So you don't see it. You don't see it, right. So you don't budget for it. And with that money, I was able to save a down payment for a house. Wow. But in those days, the house itself cost like $6,000. Okay. $90 a month was the mortgage. <laughs> How the times have changed. I know. And, and this was a freestanding house on an acre of land. An acre? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it was in uh, Sarawak. Wow. Only if we knew we'd buy 100 of them, right? Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> But um, that's just a little bit about getting started in Canada. Right. So and how long were you a nurse for? Um, I was a nurse, Obviously. like I was eight years in, in England. Right. And in Canada, um, apart from when I went, I was the Sunnybrook Hospital for 12 years. Hmm. and um, And then... I was in sound for eight, but then um, I got married, 
and moved from Owen Sound to Toronto. Okay. And then my husband worked for IBM, and he got a two-year assignment in Australia. Oh, wow. So Neil, was, he was 17 at this time. Lived in Australia for two years, huh. and he went to school there. That's cool. And so uh, this was a big thrill for him because he played cricket, which is a game that he played in Guyana, not in Canada. Canada no. was hockey. He had to learn to skate. Yeah. But when he went to Australia, they play um, cricket, and they played the football game that they called footy. So he had to learn to do that. And then they used to have big test matches at the Melbourne Cricket Ground. And so he he got, um, he wasn't homesick, let's say, you know. Cause, felt right at home yeah, in cricket. And- exactly, in Australia. So we spent two years there. And then um, after Australia, came back to Canada. And uh, I think that's when... Um, Canada was, I'm trying to put it in uh, chronological <laughs> order. Um, I know I was you know, in sound, and then I moved to Toronto because that's when I got married. And then from Toronto was when um, my husband got these two assignments, one in Australia and then one in Holland. I lived in Holland for two years. Wow. And, um, but I'd, we'd always come back to Canada and I'd go back to Sunnybrook and I didn't have to do a test or anything. They, they just give me my job back. Because <laughs> of who you are. Yes. How good you were. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And I had the training. So, I mean, uh, they knew that they were hiring somebody that, um, that would be able to, you know, take an assignment on, and look after patients, and right. and um, so that was. Um, I'm trying to think leading up to where I am now. So I got married. I li- went to Toronto. I lived in Toronto, and then because I I come full circle, then I come back to Owen Sound. I'm now retired. So you moved from Owen Sound to Toronto, Toronto to Australia, Australia to Holland, and then back to Toronto? Yes. Okay. And then I lived in Etobicoke okay. for a while. And because uh, now I'm retired, uh, and. Um, so you retired when you moved to Toronto? Out of. I'm, try- I'm trying to think. I. Because I got a fit in there when I lived in Vancouver. Right. <laughs> and I met my husband in 93 okay. when I was on a bicycle tour in Mexico. Well, let's, let's start there then. Where, when, when did you first get on a bike? Obviously, I've, I've, we talked about this a couple of times, and you rode a bike a lot in Guyana. Yeah. So but that's, yeah, that's yeah, where it starts, right? A, a bike just for getting to school and back. Mm-hmm. But um, and you've always had a passion for it, obviously. When when I lived in the states, I I joined the Spokane Bicycle Club. Okay, and I started a group of cyclists for a Tuesday ride because they had, you know, the um, 
I forget who, what we called them, but you know these guys that ride racing bikes down on the handlebars and they fancy clothes and they go like hell. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought I can't do that kind of riding, so I'm going to start a group to do the riding I want to do. Right, and so I advertised it in the Owen Sound paper, and I got a response from maybe a dozen women that were retired that could ride a bike. And so we started this Tuesday rides, and um, I would um, make out the thing for the, the bike club to put the schedule where we were meeting on a certain Tuesday. And so we would meet, and we'd park our cars, get our bikes off. And then I, I found it, uh, driving around that area that there were a lot of beautiful areas that you could ride and you're not on the highway. Right. And so um, my husband would drive me and I would look at the areas we were. And and then I got to the point where I was now um, uh, planning rides for us that we would be away from home. So there were six of us. We call ourselves the Golden Girls. <laughs> And um, and I would get my husband to drive me, and I would write the distance, where there's somewhere to eat and somewhere to sleep, where there's a little town that has motel and food. And then we would drive, and I'd see the distance, if it's okay for a distance uh, that you can do on a bike. You know, we did anything from 60 to 100 kilometers, Um so we would ride, and then I would organize with a motel, book it for us, and and do it like a circle tour. <laughs> and uh, and there's some beautiful places in the Kootenays that are just lovely, and lovely towns, and you meet a lot of nice people. And, um, and those girls that were coming from the States, from my Spokane days, they all stayed with me in Nelson, B.C. Nice. And then we would... Uh, we would all go and ride, and 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 those girls, they love to shop, <laughs> and all those little arts and craft shops along the way. Those ladies see that U.S. money coming. <laughs> <laughs> the bike started off with very light, and oh yeah, not I know exactly. <laughs> I know. By the end, you guys yeah. were all packed up. Oh yeah, <laughs> but they used to um, love to. Go to those stores and buy the local art, and which was a good thing for the little town that yeah, we were in, you know. Um, but uh, those that was those cycling days, and um, I think the next thing was, so I lived there for eight years, and um, that's in Vancouver, right? You lived in Vancouver for eight years? Uh, no, I. this is in um, Nelson. Okay, It's in BC, yeah. Right, right. And um, so uh, I met my husband in 93. I know I, I knew that year. And I was doing a ride in Mexico when I met him. And we met, we started a ride in San Diego, and we were going to... Florida, and so all along the Pacific coast there. Wow. And, um, and so uh, this ride was organized by the um, 
the club in Vancouver, the the bike club in Victoria, okay. cross cross country Canada Tour Society right. was called CCCTS, and um, so uh, they organized rides, and it was with them that I went to South Africa, to New Zealand, to Australia. It was all through that club. Mm-hmm. And and they uh, did these tours because it was a cheap way of seeing the country and not paying airfare and bus fare and train fare, and you're doing it on the bike. And and for the people that don't know, these are all people that are retired. Retired people. Right? We were all retired. I remember when some of the borders we had to cross when we were in Africa, um, uh, they would you'd have to go and or we we had a guy, um, Johan. He was uh, South African and he led the rides. He had a, a truck that um, we could put the bikes on and. Uh, if we were going in an area that we couldn't ride the bikes, you know, if it was um, not paved roads. and So we had that uh, um, assistance with us. We support had vehicle. A, a support vehicle with us. But when we would get to the borders, he would tell us that don't ask questions, just listen. And answer because at that time they were having a lot of problems in South Africa with the the whites and the blacks and uh, the blacks were wanting back their land and the the, the white people that um, planted the land and you know got it to the uh, where it was and um, but they wanted it and so that that was that fight was going on with right. apartheid apartheid mm. and so. Um, but they, you know, they would just, uh, Johan would say, you just don't ask anything, just listen. They look at your passport, they look at us, these, I think there were, I can't remember if it was 10 of us, we're all retired people, you know, on, on these bikes, but, uh, they had to show some power, you know. Oh, for sure. But it was okay, they, they let us through. Nothing ever happened like trying to cross the borders, you never had any. Well, in Africa, we did. Any trouble? Yeah, in Africa, we did because when you went to different parts of Africa, it's different rules and different. Um, because that's how the country is, you right. know. And uh, but we ha- we had no problem once we were there, and we had a support vehicle, and um, but interesting country to ride. I don't oh my heavens! I couldn't even Interesting. imagine. Interesting. And the places we stayed were parks that we were shut in from the animals. The animals are allowed to roam free. We were the ones that were shut in. Caged in. Yes. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And uh, if you get up late at night, you can go and see the lions when they come down. Because they, when they come down... All the elephants, the giraffes, they all disappear because the lion is king. Yeah. When he when they come down to drink, and usually uh, you got to stay up till 2, 3 in the morning to see them. Really? Yeah. So if you can stay up, 
then you can watch them. <laughs> and uh, I think I'd rather be sleeping. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, the elephants were fun to watch because uh, the mother elephant is the one in charge, you know. And the, the young ones, they get rambunctious and they want to go in the water before it's their turn. She would just hook them <laughs> with her trunk. Wait your turn. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, so that was um, South Africa. And um, Australia, of course, was uh, the time I was there, was their bicentennial. This um, gas company, um, Caltex, how did I remember that? <laughs> Caltex was the one that sponsored this thing. The, it was the first time in their history that they had an event where they had um, that many people traveling as a group through the country. On bikes. On bikes, but we had support vehicles and those uh, big semi-trucks. And they carried the kitchen, the showers. Wow. Everything was on those trucks. (laughs) And then it was all set up. And you were like in a little city. And once you you remember the truck that your bag is on, then you head for that truck. If you don't remember that... Then you're in trouble because there's so many of them. So you remember which truck you, your bag went on. So you went and get your bag. You put your tent up and uh, you go have a shower with a lot of other ladies. You know? Back to the party. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and those Aussies can party. I don't doubt it. Fosters, the name of the bear. Yeah. We drank some Fosters. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Shout out to Fosters. <laughs> but um, that was the Caltex bike tour, um, and that was Australia. And New Zealand, um, I went to the North con- North Country, and I did go to the South as well, hmm. both North and South, and with with the bike. Wow. Uh, got to Christchurch, and... Um, and we stayed in Christchurch and did some tourist thing, and then uh, we got riding. And um, but the rides were all planned, and you just ride through through the different areas of the country. And then we went to the South Island and did some riding there as well. And that was quite interesting. Um, it was it was different. It was more more mountainous than Christchurch. Area, and uh, and then we got to meet the Maoris, and um, trying to think the name of of the area. I I've still got some fabric that I uh, uh, that I've got with the Maori symbol on it, mm-hmm. and it was um, I got it from one of the markets. And it was just in two pieces, so you kind of put some tights on, and you put this little skirt here and the one at the back, and you tied it at the side, and it had the... So I took it and made cushions with it. Okay. So <laughs> I have it in my suite right now. Cool. And uh, uh, Wellington. Wellington was another part of the country that I went to that a lot of people... In New Zealand? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Wellington. What was New Zealand like to, to cycle through? Um, they were just lovely people because um, uh, we, we visited a lot of um, uh, the areas where they had sheep. Okay. And, um, and we would stay at these people's home, you know, that maybe have a, um, a, what would be like their cottage, but it's on the property. So they put us up there and we have showers and, and that. And then they would feed us. We'd go and eat with the family. Nice. And, um, and then they had the sheep there. But I used to hate it when they were um, taking the lambs away from the mother mm. because the lambs are the ones that, that are going to be slaughtered for uh, export. Right. And um, they had a name for it, but I can't think of it. But it, they used to cry. Oh. And the cry was almost like a baby. Oh. And oh, it was so sad. I, oh, I don't want to see this yeah. because you know when they even the mother and they taking them out to there where they're going, you know? right? Uh, but that's big business in in our country. Yeah. So we had a lot of lamb and um, and um, and it it was um, if you ever get the chance to uh, visit New Zealand, people are are unbelievably. Lovely, hmm. just lovely people. I didn't know that. I mean, I would have assumed people are lovely everywhere you go, but I guess that's oh yeah. Uh, but not the um, case. <laughs> you know, people, uh, they're. I mean, you can, because um, uh, I rode through a lot of country in in the United States, but and um, and you know, we were treated kindly by them, but. Uh, we did have a few times when people have opened their sliding door. We can camp in their um, on their lawn, and we can come in and use their washroom and showers, and and um, and then uh, we can go into the town, walk into the town, and go to the restaurant or whatever. So, um, and th- there were a lot of kind people. There are kind people everywhere. Right. But uh, I'm sure if you weren't weren't as kind as you were, then it wouldn't have the possibilities wouldn't have been. As, yeah, well, uh, I, I think that uh, people uh, saw us as doing something that they're in awe yeah. of, you know, and they didn't feel threatened. Yeah, because we weren't in a car, we weren't carrying guns, and you know, this they they were uh, they didn't feel threatened by us six women. Yeah, you know, retired women. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're we're all retired. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's like a story you've never heard before, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> for me at least. It's uh, it's really cool. Yeah, well, it's it's a cool way of seeing a country mm-hmm. on the bike. If ever you have the opportunity, that's the way to go. Yeah, okay. and you know, go with a group. Yeah, you don't want to do it alone. Uh, because it would be scary to be on your own all those hours riding a bike on your own. Yeah. No. No. You got to have a companion, and and it's better if you people like mindedness. You know, people, yeah. and that's why why I was fortunate to 
hooked up with people who wanted to do this and enjoyed doing it. Right. Yeah. What was the the preparation like? Like, what what would you? What was the process like to get the bikes ready to go on these kind of trips for? Okay, the for bikes guys? had to be touring bikes, which you have a mountain bike, um, and then you have a hybrid. Okay. And then you have a racing bike. So the difference between those, basic difference between those three bikes, because I'll, I'll talk to you about the gearing, but it's the size of the wheel. Okay. Um, with a mountain bike, it's a wider tire. It's a smaller wheel. You have to pedal a lot more to get to the same distance that you can get on a touring bike with a lot less effort. Because the wheel's bigger, so when you make one stroke of the pedal, you're going to go further. Right. And, uh, and also, uh, the tires, they're not as small as the tires on a racing bike, but they're not as big as the mountain bike. And they're, uh, um, they're tires that are meant for these hybrid bikes. So the tires are... Um, somewhere in between, I used to know all the sizes, but it's somewhere in between a, a mountain bike and a racing bike. Okay. So it's a touring bike. So if you go to the bike shop, you'll see a touring bike size of the tires because it makes it... Now, you, if you're touring, it means you're going b- big distances. And so you want to get there with a, as little effort. Right. And so the touring bike was the way, and you always made sure you had a good bike. Bricks were working. We had on all the bikes that I've, you know, the touring bike that I had was a um, Trek, okay, Trek bike, and um, you had Shimano components on it, and some Shimano index shifting, and Shimano um, all the gears. And so you had, uh, the bikes had three sprockets in front. And then if it was a a, a 10 speed, then it would only have two sprockets. If it was a 21 speed, it would have three sprockets. And then those sprockets, uh, as you go down, the bike becomes easier to pedal because now the ratio between the biggest one in front and the biggest one at the back can do this and still move. But you have to control that, uh, those gears when you're going uphill. So you're going uphill and you don't wait until, uh, you get to the point where you, you can't pedal the bike. So you use the gears gradually to get you up. Because if you do that, the chain's gonna come off. Hmm. So you you um, you change the gears as the gear get the hill gets tougher. Right. So that when you get to the toughest part, because all the hills are graded this way and then this way to get to the top. Mm-hmm. So when you get to that level, you better have something. You know, to help you get up there. Right. And that's going to be your bike. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. It's you and your bike. The so, good equipment. Yeah. Comes good equipment. 
Uh, make sure the bike fits you. The saddle is very important to be in the right place where when you're on the downstroke of the pedal, that your knee is still slightly bent. Right. And so you they, they put you on a bike in the bike shop, and then they they get you to pedal it, and as you change the gears, and they're watching on, on the downstroke, uh, you know, and so um, they're able to put the saddle in the spot where your knee is not completely locked out. Yes, right, right. So it has to be just a little bit mm-hmm. bent. So that's your bike. Hmm. And I wanted to ask you too, like the mental aspect of of keeping going, right, and not not quitting. Mm-hmm. Especially, like it amazes me that you and this group of of people were all retired mm-hmm. like over 50 mm-hmm. and doing these unbelievable miles mm-hmm. like what's what's the fight like inside like what what keeps you what keeps you going is it the the team like is it like what's the what's the fire inside i, I think that the number one thing is um you have to be healthy right uh you have to be somebody who's been um uh, you know, doing these things, taking care of yourself, eating right, make sure you sleep in, no smoking. I've never smoked in my life. Wow. And smoking was a big, big one that would, um, you know, you lose some of your lung capacity. Mm-hmm. But if you did those things and um, and you were exercising on a regular basis, you're going to get to that level. But it all starts with what you're doing um, for a woman, especially during and after menopause. Okay. Uh, Because that's when the challenges begin. Hmm. Um, That's when your your estrogen is... um, it's not at the level that it is when you're in your childbearing age and when you're younger. And so, you you know, you have to put some thought into it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it doesn't take um, being trained as a nurse or or any kind of medical training. It just needs for you to be a woman who... Uh, wants to uh, stay healthy through after childbearing years, that you want to stay healthy uh, mentally and physically. Right. Because your mental health, I know for me especially, um, when I knew that um, I got to the stage of my life where... um, I was going through menopause, and I knew I was not going to have any more kids. I was sad, mm-hmm. and I could have become depressed, but instead I take it out on the bike. <laughs> and that's when I excelled with the bike, because I, I was fighting this loss. Right. And I had to have something to challenge me to overcome that loss kind of fight back yes yeah yeah mentally mm-hmm. 
And then the physical part is is what I did taking care of myself and and um, never smoked and I never was on drugs. The only drug I knew was aspirins, mm. and um, uh, you know, I mean that drugs and that wasn't available to us when I was growing up. You know, I d- didn't know when I heard the word drugs, I think of aspirins, mm. and. Um, because if you had a headache, you take a, um, my mother used to wet like a face cloth with some cold water, put it on your forehead, go and lie down in the dark in the room, mm-hmm. and you stay there for an hour, get rid of the headache. Yeah. You know, so. Um, we really don't need all the drugs no, that are exactly. out exactly. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, they're doing more harm than they're they are good, really. Yeah, you know, it's become uh, too dependent. Yeah, and then to start bringing these drugs on the market, that um, you know, you see the downtown downtown east side, and I mean, when when you see those things, you think, why? Yeah, how did it get why? to that? Yes, I used to watch the um, the and it, they're doing it now. There's a group of men that they can't start the day without alcohol so they they have an area there where they come and get beer <laughs> they come and get a can of beer and and that's how they can start the day and i think how did they get to that point mm-hmm. but it happens it's yes a, it's just yeah one day after another right making these decisions it's exactly like that's where it all starts up in up in the head and Making good decisions and yeah. everything else follows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's wild. So, did you so cycling across Canada? We'll come back to Canada. Mm-hmm. Was this before you went to the states, or before you went to Australia and everything, or was uh, that was that afterward? I know the timeline's kind of yeah. hard to remember, but um, no, it was I think it was after. Because when I immigrated to Canada and lived up here, I'd done those things already. Hmm. I did move to Australia after Owen Sound. Okay. Because Owen Sound is where I met my husband. Right. And um, moved to Toronto, and then I worked at Sunnybrook. And I, um, because even though... You know, he was at the time making a lot of money, and he said he had four kids. And then I had my one, so now I'm being a mother to a lot of kids. Right. And um, and so I said, well, you know, I I wanted to go back to work because I, I don't want to lose that skill. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, um, you know, he said, well, you don't have to work because, you know, it's enough money. I said, look. I want to be independent, and I want to save some money for Neil um, so that he can go and get further education. You know, that's how we went to MIT. That wasn't cheap. Mm-hmm. I don't doubt it. Yeah. and um, hard work. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, when he got accepted there, you think I, I was going to uh, – I said to – I was ma- I was very fortunate because I, we were living in the states. I was in the eighties 
when Neil got accepted to MIT. And I said to um, so Jim said, you know, it's an uh, expensive school, but we, he was being paid in U.S. dollars at this okay. time. And I was working. This is when I'm riding with the girls from Spokane Bicycle Club. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, but I said, you know, if need be, I would, uh, I would go back to work. And, uh, and he said, no. Uh, he said, you know, he said to Neil, I, I'm going to pay for your education, but you need to show me that, that you're working to, and you're not going there to the States and then get involved with friends and drugs and dancing or whatever they get involved with kids at that age at university. Yeah. And, um, and so I knew that I could trust Neil. Um, and so um, he decided to pay for it. And Neil went to school, and, and and you kept on the bikes. Oh yeah, well I was living in the states at the okay. time, so I was riding, riding with the girls. The That's awesome. Doing the golden girls rides, and you know, <laughs> organizing all those bike tours through the Kootenays, and so it all it all started down in the states, and then you moved to Nelson, BC. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, I see the the pattern now. Yeah. Wow. It mu- no wonder your knees are so messed up. <laughs> do i know it <laughs> i know it so it's it, it that was over the span of of what 10 years that you were riding these bikes um or riding these tours i mean i would be from when i got uh when i lived in the states i'd be like 20 years ago with all the time to to come back to now over 20 years. And you made it full circle, came back to came Owen Sound. Came back to Owen Sound. Can so, you believe it? <laughs> I don't know why you came back to the snow. Well, <laughs> I'm Canadian. I'm yeah. a Canadian citizen. and um, But, you see, I was going to Barbados every year for three months. Right. You're escaping. Since the, the 70s. So I never had a winter in Canada until this one. Yeah, thanks, COVID. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah, there was no travel. Crazy. What, uh, what's your take on the whole COVID situation? Um, I think that, um, you know, throughout my... I've never... The only... Um, uh, I knew about pandemics and I knew what it meant... I used to get my flu shot every year. I used to make sure Jack got his flu shot. And um, and we had that one little episode here um, where they had the one that they didn't have the vaccine for it, but it didn't take long for them to be able to vaccinate us against uh, the one I, I the name, um, you know, the the pandemic that they had before this one. Uh, the swine flu or something? No, not that far back. Um. Uh, there's a name for it. But, you know, they had, they got the shots. They got the shots for it. And we were able to get vaccinated. And so it um, they, it didn't get to a pandemic stage. The lockdown and yes. the quarantines Yeah, and it didn't right. get to that stage. Huh. And... Um, 
but I always because I'm when I'm working in a hospital, I have to uh, keep my immune system strong. Yeah, of course. Or else I'm going to catch everything that the patients have mm-hmm. because you're in such close contact with them, and there was no mask and gowns. You wore mask and gowns if somebody was in isolation, and it would be because of an infection mm-hmm. of a bacteria. It wasn't a virus. Virus are things you can't see, and when you're fighting an enemy that you can't see, that's what we're fighting. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a, a hard time. Yeah, that's for sure. Hopefully, we're on the the last leg. Yeah, of it though. I think that um, uh, that Canada's done very well. You know, I mean, um, I wasn't a frontline worker during this time because I I was retired. And a lot of times I thought, you know, if my knee wasn't this bad, I could at least go. I know how to take a patient's blood pressure. I know how to take their temperature. I can sit them up in bed. I can feed them. I can uh, give them a bath. You know, I could still do stuff like that. But because of my knee, I can't, uh, and my age as well, you know, uh, that I really shouldn't expose myself. Because my immune system is not what it used to be. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, but I I miss it, and um, uh, you know my heart goes out to those nurses mm-hmm. because I'm there with them. I know. Yeah. I watch these patients in ICU and see them transferring them from stretcher to the bed and. And and this is real. This is not the show on TV. Yeah, real life. No, this is real life. Mm-hmm. What what message do you have for for people that are are trying to be healthy and trying to, you know, maybe maybe elderly people that are trying to to be a little bit more active and you know, do you have any advice for them? Yes, uh, I think that get up in the morning and say, thank God. I'm alive today, and I am going to live this day to its fullest because I don't know if there's going to be another day. Hmm. And get out there. Don't be afraid to. Uh, even if you're, don't go and sit on the chair. Just just get up. And it doesn't, I mean, I'm lucky where I am in the winter. I could go out my door and walk in that building but there's places like the Y, and there, there's gyms that have tracks that you can walk on. But just do it. Yeah, don't 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 get yeah. defeated by yeah, it. Yeah, don't don't uh, and don't think you you have to be as good as the next person. You're good as it's gonna do you just as much benefit as it's doing me. At the level I'm doing it, if you're going to be starting it, and and the thing about it is that with exercise, it's something that you should um, never try to do. Um, do things that because your neighbor's doing it, you start off doing it so that you enjoy it. Because right. if you don't enjoy it, you're not going to do it. Yeah. Enjoy what you do and, and look at it as um, something that's benefiting your heart, your lungs. These are the organs that we need to um, 
to keep healthy mm-hmm. so that we can be healthy mm-hmm. and, uh, and the, the build ca- on it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's the caboose that, yeah. that runs the rest of the train, right? <laughs> yes. Do you have... Um, do you have like a memorable memorable moment that somebody gave you advice and it always stuck with you? Um, Obviously, there's probably a few of them. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, um, I think I can't say my mother because um, I never seen my mother exercise, or that wasn't something that you know she would have thought at. Because <laughs> I must tell you a story. I um, when I did the ride from to Wasson to Halifax. On the way back, you know, I spent some time in Halifax, and um, I I went to visit my mother. She was living in a home in um, in Tor- just outside of Toronto, in Scarborough. Okay, and. Um, and she looked at me, and she said, "Girl, how come you get so fat?" <laughs> <laughs> that was my mother. I said, "Mom, it's not fat; it's muscle." <laughs> Here I am in the best shape of my life, yeah. and she's telling me I'm fat. <laughs> but that was my mom. She, you know, she was so used to us being these hundred-pound girls. Because, you know, I mean, I was a hundred, well, eight stone, 112 pounds for years and years. And this is another thing that I think that if you keep your weight under control and you promise yourself that at the end of each year, stand on that scale. You don't ha- I don't weigh myself every day, but once a year, or sometimes now, because if I feel, you know, like my, my jeans nev- are too tight, yeah. I'm going to stand on the scale to see. I, I need to buy a scale because <laughs> I need to weigh myself. Yeah. It's only when I go to the doctor that I, <laughs> I could weigh myself. Right. But set yourself a goal. And... Um, at the end of the year or the beginning of the new year, stand on that scale and make sure you're not five pounds heavier than you were when you stood on it the last time at the beginning of the year. Yeah. I like that. Something so simple. Yes. Just training that, that will, right? Exactly. And and if there is any time in your life that you think about diets, because uh, I, I don't believe in diet, but what I believe in is cutting down Moderation. on your carbohydrates. For instance, you'd say, okay, I, I need to lose a couple of pounds. A couple of pounds on a woman is hard to lose uh, and keep it off. Yeah, you got to keep it off. Have one slice of bread instead of two. Uh, if you're going to have desserts, have half of it. Mm-hmm. Don't starve yourself. Don't do without anything that you want to eat. Eat it, but in moderation. Right. And cut back. You know, say, okay, well, I got to get this few pounds off. So, because now you don't want to add to that five pounds. Mm-hmm. So you 
you lose that five pounds if for the new year you promise yourself you get rid of it. So you got a whole year that you can gain five pounds again, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's 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 a mental thing as well. Right. So and that, that was my next question. What's for you know, maintaining a positive mindset and, mm-hmm. and you're always so happy and everything, what's what's your advice for people any any age? My age, you know, anybody. Um do what you're doing for you. Um, don't look at um, on the TV and see um, all the ads for looking a certain way. Mm-hmm. This is your body. You, um, as a female, um, we want to look good. We don't want to gain weight and and. You know, after menopause, you gain it around your middle because that's where, you know, the fat, the adipose tissue is in there. (laughs) And so um, that's where you're going to gain it. But accept the fact that you're not going to have a 24-inch waist anymore. Mm -hmm. Your waist is going to go up, even if you go up to a size 6 inches larger. Don't worry about it, but set yourself a goal that this is the size you want to be, mm-hmm. and don't go out and buy a bigger size. Yeah, don't accept the fact. Don't don't do that. Right. Don't because you're wearing a size ten, and um, you go up to a size twelve, and you think, okay, I'm between a ten and a twelve. Some things that are stretchy, I can wear a ten. If it's cotton, then you wear 12, you know, this kind of thing. Know, know your size, know your body shape and what looks good on you. Get a mirror. <laughs> stand in front of that. I stand in front of my mirror every day, and I can see what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need anybody to tell me. Right. And then I, I, I don't even need to stand on a scale. I know what I have to do. Yeah. And um, for, for you, just take pride in yourself as a uh, as a woman, you know. Um, and and the other thing for me is, I um, I like male company. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been very deprived since my husband died, because until my friend Len, who I've known for a long time. Uh, we were friends back in the 70s because he worked for IBM and so did my husband. So I knew his wife. She and I became, she was my best friend. Okay. And she died around the same time my husband died. Oh, wow. So the two of us got together and and there was this connection. And the number one thing I said to him is, you know, I, I feel safe with you. and um, And so... You know, you're welcome in my home. And um, he would come and spend weekends and we'd go to the... He never went to a hockey game. Uh-huh. I introduced, introduced him to hockey. He went with me to the hockey games. And then we'd go out for dinner. And sometimes I would cook and we would put music on and we'd dance. And Very nice. COVID took all of that away from me. Yeah. All of it. Well, hopefully we can get it back here soon. Yeah, well, I'm hoping they're supposed to be um, 
vaccinating uh, the people in the area where he lives. Um, he lives in North York. Oh, okay. And we were talking about it earlier. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So once he gets vaccinated and, you know, he feels comfortable traveling, uh, because we, we were supposed to, uh, uh, he was going to come to Barbados and, uh, and then spend time with me. And then he, he was, um, he's got a heart uh, problem where he had to have a, um, a heart valve okay. replaced. So he's not allowed to be out of the country for too long because if something goes wrong with that, then they can't treat it in Barbados. And so, but he was allowed to sp- spend two weeks and I thought, that's great. COVID happened. None of that. Right before it, too, eh? Oh, yeah. Or, or yeah. I guess you were down in Barbados. I was there, yeah, and the borders oh. were closed, and so that was the end of that. I never saw him there. <laughs> and then I was he was coming up here, and we were going to Collinwood, and, um, and then, you know, and then he, he would be here for a weekend, and then he goes this way, and I thought, you know, I got the best of both worlds. Because I don't have, he's not living with me. <laughs> I don't have the responsibility. <laughs> Still got your alone time. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Very important. And, um, but COVID sticking that away. Yeah. And um, it's a weird time. It's really it is a weird, a weird time. time. It's almost like we're going through another war, but I without know. any physical. You know, I know it. We're fighting something that we can't see. Yeah. Yeah, just like you said. Yeah, you can't see a virus. It's unbelievable. And and uh, you can treat bacteria, anything that um, that you can treat with antibiotics, you know. But it has to be bacteria. It can't be a virus because mm-hmm. it's it's through the lungs, right? It's well, the the thing about a virus is that um, it's like um, you're fighting an enemy that there's no. Uh, like if you get a bacteria infection, there's all kinds of antibiotics, all grades of it, all different kinds to treat whatever that bacteria is. Mm-hmm. But with a virus, there's no treatment. Mm-hmm. It's something we they, they can't see. They can't put it in like they take bacteria and they culture it, and they know exactly what, strain of bacteria is causing your infection. Right. And then they can treat it, and you're better in no time, and away you go, and, and you're off the antibiotics, and and you're cured. Yeah. This, with viruses, is a, a, something that we're fighting that uh, that we can't see. We don't know how to, uh, how to treat it. <laughs> but, you know, now they're coming up. I mean, I just got um uh vaccinated because I felt it was important and I wanted to do this and um and I feel now I'm not gonna go out there and start partying. I'm still gonna wear my mask and I'm still gonna do the distancing but I'm looking forward to when the kids come and I can hug them again. Because yeah. I haven't been able to hug them. Mm-hmm. They'd be here in the room with me, but we all got masks on, you know, and just we go out to the restaurant, we'd sit across from each other, but 
Um, it would be nice when, uh, especially the little one, you know, uh, he's still young enough that he's, I'm his granny and, you know. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, those are the things I miss. Yeah. And I live alone. And, um, but I, I think that because of my background and all, all the things that I, the life I've lived, and um, I had good things and bad things, and and I made it to this point, and so I'm not going to, um, to get depressed over it. Right. Uh, I mean, I am. I've got severe memory loss. Mm-hmm. I am on medication for it. For um, you know, they call it a mild cognitive impairment, and. Um, and you know, but when I, when I was diagnosed with it, I know it's the early stages of Alzheimer's, and I thought of all things, my mind, you know, like I got a, my knee went bad, I got all these other things, but not my mind, you know. Yeah. And then I thought, you know what? Start reading and learning about this disease. There's a way to. Um, to learn about what's happening. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the Alzheimer's meetings. I got literature about it. I got things to do to help me. And I got, um, uh, Neil got me those um, books, coloring books. And so I start creating something from, you know, by the colors. Mm-hmm. And looking at it on the page coming to life, and and I had to color in tiny spaces. So if my hand shaking, I had to steady my hands to color it, and I had to concentrate. Wow! And I think doing those things and going to the meetings and learning how you can help yourself. You know, I I never got to the stage where I needed GPS when I go out. Mm-hmm. I I know where I am, and I know that if I get turned around, I can ask somebody, where's the professional building? And if they say, well, you have to go up that street, that's all I need. Yeah. But, you know, I, I live in a city where it's easy to find your way around, you know, avenues and, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> streets. It's, it's a grid. Instead yes, of being a, yeah. yeah. So I haven't got to that stage because Neil told me um, that, you know, um, maybe it will come a time that I would need it. But I do have, um, because I I live alone at night and when I'm in places like the shower, I have a pendant that I wear. Um, that I can push the button if I fall or... Yeah, it's good precaution, right? Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely, and especially at night. Yeah. When I get up to go to the bathroom, I put it it around my neck because I know I I can press that button because you wake up out of a sleep and you're hurrying to the bathroom, you could trip. Yeah, absolutely. Could happen to anybody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I have done, I, I have things, and I'm lucky 
uh, that I have a son that um, uh, made sure that these things were provided for me. He had bars put in the shower, mm-hmm. bars put by the toilet, you know, that uh, you have something to hold on to when you sit up and down, because these are times you could fall, Right. you know. You miss that toilet, you're going to end up on the floor, you know. Yeah. And but uh, he's and and he's been uh, throughout um, uh, this time, uh, you know, like living here and, and aging, and you know, um, because you know I'm eight years into my eighties, so um, I, I'm not uh, uh, young anymore. But I've got. I I don't uh, base too much on age. It's it's a number, yeah. and you have to know that number. But for me, um, I I just live each day as if it's the last. <laughs> that's really beautiful, and that's the way everybody should be. It's yeah. too bad that there's not more people like that. <laughs> well, you know if. Um, if people listen to this, and and I, I hope that um, whatever you do with it, that it helps, even if it's one person. Yep. And um, but um, I'm very fortunate, and 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 Neil's um, uh, been a big help to me. He's my only child, mm-hmm. and uh, he tells me, Mom. You took care of me, now it's my turn. But I know that sometimes um, <laughs> it gets a bit much for him because he's busy and, and I want to talk about something, you know. Yeah. But uh, but he's been good. Yeah. You know, he, he does things like um, I had trouble with my uh, debit card and the bank and that, and, and he made sure that he took care of it and he... I, I have a gift card with a taxi mm-hmm. that I don't have to have money. Yeah, he takes care of all these. Yeah, sp- and then he he got um, he got a gift card at Shorty's. Right. So now I don't even have to use a card when I go there. Yeah. I just go and get my food and it put it on the gift card. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Mm-hmm. There's one less thing to worry about, right? Oh yeah. Nice. Yeah. So I'm I'm very fortunate. And then you came into my life when, when Neil told me um, um, that uh, he says you know he's gonna get that um, Kaiser machine, and but he said you, I'm gonna get your trainer because, I said well he just show me how to use the machine I'm fine <laughs> I can go I out and walk I can world. do yeah <laughs> you know like, um, he says mom, I'm gonna get your trainer. And I think, I thought, okay. I know he's had a trainer for a long time because I know the guy. And and he's done, he's made a tremendous difference to Neil's health because he had a couple of life-threatening things that... Um, Neil did? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And so um, he he is now healthier than he's been in years but um that guy has been his trainer 
and uh, forget his name. He's a Russian guy. But uh, after ne- if Neela had any surgery or whatever, he would um, he would get talk to the physiotherapist and find out you know what he can do and can't do. Okay. And then he would, um, and so he he's been like a lifeline to Neil. But when I've never had a trainer, and I said, what for? And he says, Mom, I'm going to get you a trainer, and he's going to come twice a week, <laughs> whatever. Mm-hmm. And the rest is history, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we've developed a, a pretty a pretty cool bond. Yeah, 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 you used to come with your book, and you would write what you, you know, exercise you wanted. You, hi- you had a plan. Yeah. And I think that was good for me because... I mean, I thought, why would I need a trainer? I'll jump on the bike and go oh, for yeah, <laughs> yeah, twenty minutes a day. Yeah, that's probably the best reason why I'm there, so I can get you off the bike. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be there all day long if I wasn't there. <laughs> and of course, I was looking forward to getting my poles and walking. Yeah, yeah, that's you know, a, that's, that's the next be, step. Yeah, that's the next step, and I'm looking forward to that yeah. because. Um, I want to climb the 10th Street Hill. That's the goal. That's the goal. Up and down, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll get her done now that the, the, all the ice is going away. Oh, yeah, yeah. It'll be no problem. Yeah, that's a uh, walk for the summer. And I think that um, uh, physically and with my heart and lungs, that I'll be fine going up that hill. Mm-hmm. But it's coming down. Yeah, I'll have to walk in front of you. with the knee... <laughs> You gotta hold yourself up, you know. It's a counterbalance kind yeah. of thing, but with the poles, that's gonna be the help. Even going up with with my knee takes the pressure off the knee. Yeah, you know because if you use the poles correctly, you're not using your knees as much. Right, and uh, and it works your shoulder, and so those are the areas that I need to strengthen and. Um, I love walking with those poles. Yeah, people of all age could, yeah. could benefit from that. It's a whole body workout, right? They try to, um, uh, because wh- I used to go to Friday afternoon classes because it was to do with balance. And uh, so we went for this class, and I took my poles. I said, this is how I learned to balance, mm-hmm. is using these poles. And so then she got some poles, and she got a few of the other ladies, and we would uh, we would walk. She always made us walk along where this long counter was the whole length of the building, <laughs> because if you, you know, you kind of get wobbly, you had something to grab to, onto. But um, and then I uh, got a couple of people that I got outside on the path by the river. See, that's something I want to get back doing when the weather is better. Mm-hmm. Because it's beautiful along the river. You're out of the traffic, yep. and you're by the river, and it's a good walk, you yep. know, from Shoppers Drug Mart there. There's some stairs to go down, and you can walk quite a way. Right, yeah, I know you're talking about Yeah. That. I thought you were talking about over by the uh, the... The, fi- the fish launch or the fish Oh, oh, fish no, 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 no. That's a nice walk too over there. Oh yeah, yeah. There, I used to do a lot of walking there when I would come 
uh, from BC and I'd spend time with my sister, mm-hmm. I would get out and walk and explore. Nice. And I found all these paths and I found a way of going uh, down to where um, uh, where they had the, the boats, the fishing boats in there. And, um, and then I found um, I could walk through a small park and I could get to where, because now I look for paved yeah. somewhere that I'm not in the street. Yeah. And there's an Indian reservation out there. But where the path is, uh, you go through uh, this nice treated area. And then you get to the road and there's sidewalk. And you go up the hill on that road. And then you can walk forever up there. Okay. And one time, I walked past the school... And I, I was so, uh, you know, I stopped and watched the kids playing outside, and and then I forgot how I had to get back. Oh no! So I started walking, and I was going in the wrong direction, and um, and so I stopped this lady, and I said, um, "Can you show me which way I go to get to the water?" Because I know if I get to the water, I'm going to find where my sister lives. Right. And so she said, oh, you're going the wrong way. And she said, you go continue down the street, but turn around and start going the other way. And then you're going to get up this hill, and you make a right there, and you're heading towards the water. <laughs> you see, I didn't know I had to go... That way to look for the water. I was <laughs> looking for the water with the schools. On, on the opposite side. <laughs> it happens. But uh, but even then, and and this is not that long ago, but um, uh, this was all leading up to this cognitive impairment that um, that I could get lost. Like, But I wasn't afraid or anything. I was enjoying the walk, and I just got... I thought, you know, I got turned around. I'll just ask somebody. Because yeah. I know once I find the water, that's my sister lives across from the lake. Yeah, you can just exactly. point it out, right? So I end up in this really beautiful area that I didn't know was there. I high up the hill. <laughs> and then you're lost. <laughs> and then I had to come down and get on the flat and then find my way to the water. Yeah, That's funny. Well, I think we're uh, we're good to wrap it up, Leila. Or okay. Leila, that was amazing. Do you have um, any anything else you want to add in for another little 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 jot for the people out there? Just do it. Decide to stand up. Yeah, just it's, do it. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, just do it. I like that. And um, don't be afraid. Well, thank you very much, Leila. Oh, you're very welcome. I appreciate you taking the time. Well, that's it, guys. Thank you all so much for listening. Please check out and follow all the social medias. Stay tuned for the next one. Looks like Monday at noon is the set schedule. Peace out.